I invite you to turn with me for our scripture reading and our text this afternoon to Psalm 78. Psalm 78, and we'll be looking together to the first eight verses, one through eight of Psalm 78. contemplation of Asaph. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. May he bless the reading of his word to our hearts this afternoon and the proclamation of it. Beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, as we hear God speaking to us this afternoon from this psalm of Asaph, Psalm 78, under the theme that the generation to come might know, I just want to begin by emphasizing that these verses speak of the covenant responsibilities or obligations that God places upon the homes, the parents, and as you can hear in the fathers too in particular, of his people. And one of the reasons that this Teaching in this psalm is just as relevant for God's people today as it was for God's people way back there in the Old Testament days, is that you and I and our children are part and parcel, members of, belonging to the same covenant that God established so long ago with Abraham and his seed. And we're not going to delve into that. There's a number of very powerful passages that make that very clear, passages that are found in the New Testament. But I'm just going to bring to our remembrance this one. And I do so because this is something so easily forgotten and sometimes sadly misunderstood. But it is clear in Scripture. Take then Galatians, the last verses of Galatians, as Paul writes to the church in Galatia in chapter 3, 
Beginning with verse 26, he says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus, Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. None of those things in that sense makes a difference to your standing before God as his child. And then Paul says, and if you are Christ's, you are Abraham's seed, Abraham's children, and heirs according to the promise. The promise of the covenant that God made with Abraham to be a God to him and to his children, and that they should be his people. That covenant language, the heart of the covenant, that relationship of God and his people, is something that courses through scripture from beginning to end. And you find that same language in its perfect fulfillment in heaven in the last chapter of the Bible. So we're talking about this covenant God established and there's a new dispensation to it and there's an old dispensation but it's the one and the same it grows it expands it now includes of course all the Gentiles uh, and all the nations of the earth just as God said already way back then to to Abraham but it's the same covenant and in that covenant he makes wonderful promises and two of the sections in our form for baptism speak of all those promises and he gives amazing blessings because he is our, our God and we are his people. But in this covenant, there are also responsibilities. There are obligations. They're holy. They're weighty. They're serious. If we neglect them, we do so to our own peril and the peril of our loved ones. We've got to remember that. It's a heavy and a very serious, solemn duty. It's a joyful one, but it's serious. And we heard that we have a part to carry out, a part of faith, a part of living in a life of new obedience. Uh, it was in the form. Third, the covenant of grace contains both promises and obligations. Having considered the promises, we now consider the obligations. Just listen to it once again. Through baptism, God, these are the obligations. God calls us and places us under obligation to live in new obedience to him. That's something we need to communicate to our children. That baptism isn't just something in their past. It isn't something that's just automatically saves them. It calls them to covenant responsibilities and obligations. They, this means that they, we must cling to this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We must trust in Him, love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We must renounce the sinful way of life. We must put to death our old nature, show by our lives that we belong to God. If we through weakness should fall into sin, we must not despair of God's mercy, nor use our weakness as an excuse to continue in sin, continue sinning. Baptism is a seal and total reliable witness that we have an eternal covenant with God. So we've got to remember that this isn't just some kind of superstitious magical rite. Right? This is a sign and a seal that points us to a reality. But it's the reality that we need to be pointed to and we need to live out and we need to embrace and we need to teach to and communicate and, and, and be an example of to our children and our children's children. Otherwise, it's meaningless in a real sense. Or it, it only will bring 
curse upon us our baptism. So baptism, if you just divorce it from the reality and all the responsibilities and the gospel as just a kind of a magical rite that, you know, you get your child baptized and everything's okay. You, never, you know, some people think they, they hardly ever or never have to set foot in a church. They'll only do it to get their children baptized and then they're safe. That's, that's a totally wrong perception of what baptism is about. Does baptism itself save us? What do we confess in Lord's Day 27 of the Heidelberg Catechism? This is what we confess. Is then the outward washing with water itself the washing away of sin? Does it cause us to automatically be forgiven? Just that water in some kind of magical way? The answer is no, for only the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sins. And who receives the benefits that are symbolized and sealed in baptism? The cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Lord's Day 7 says of our catechism. And remember, this is all based on scripture. Are all men then saved by Christ as they perish through Adam? And the answer is no, but only those who by a... It doesn't say by the waters of baptism, but who by a true faith in what the waters of baptism then signify and point us to, who by a true faith are engrafted into him and receive all his benefits. All of this means that if we and or our children, God forbid, should at some point decide that we're going to turn our back on living for Jesus and refuse to continue to read and study and teach and believe and live by his word, if all of that becomes passe to us, then God gives very serious warning because it happened at times in God's, the history of God's people in Israel. He gave very serious warnings to the church, the, the New Testament church too. Just think of those seven letters to the seven churches in the beginning of Revelation. You know how serious the warning was to five of the churches. Five of the churches had the warning given, repent from whatever particular sin John pointed out, or else I will take away the lampstand from your midst. You'll no longer be a church. You'll no longer be faithful. There'll be no longer salvation. That's very serious stuff. This is all very serious. And Hebrews 10 says, Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? We're called to faith, obedience, love, fellowship. If we don't follow that, if we just despise that, how much worse punishment? Do you think he will be counted worthy of that? So, God's promises are true and real to us and our children. But with those promises comes the holy obligation of faith and a life of a new obedience. Not perfect, but empowered by the Holy Spirit according to God's word. That's what we read in the form, and it's the clear message of God's word. All of this to say that it's a very awesome privilege, that a very awesome privilege and 
obligation is laid on the church and on us as particular who are parents and or grandparents. It is this duty that you are called to, that we are called to in these opening verses of Psalm 78, namely that we will not hide them from our children. Instead, we will be telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. It says, God appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. It's not just mothers, it's fathers. Fathers have a primary responsibility even, as you hear here in this psalm and as Paul reflects in his words to the church in Ephesus. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. It was true in the day this psalm was written, this law. It's been just as true and true in every year it has been sung since right down today, to today. And again, our baptismal form echoes this clearly when it says, as children grow up, their parents shall be responsible for teaching them the meaning of baptism. That means teaching them the meaning of the gospel of Jesus Christ and their great need of being cleansed, that they've been born in sin and misery, that they need to be born again, that without the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ, They'll be under condemnation. Do you sincerely promise to do all that you can to teach this child and have him or her taught this doctrine of salvation? This is not just for Josh and Becca. It's for all of you who have stood up here and made the same vows at some point in your life and answered we do. You are solemnly, urgently called to fulfill this holy vow you've made not to forget it. So if you're going to keep this obligation, not half-heartedly, but with deep and earnest resolve, where do you start? Where do you start? Start by being willing to listen. That's how the psalmist starts here. Right? You have to do what God says through Asaph in verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. This is that intense language, actually. Have you ever listened to to someone who, who you believe was saying something important and maybe it wasn't coming over a big loudspeaker so you wanted not to miss a word of it so what do you do you, you turn your head you incline your ear maybe you cup your, your hand behind your ear to make sure that you're, you don't miss what's being said that's what God, God asks of you and me. 
He wants you to listen so carefully because everything he's got to say is important. He says, give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. So being able to teach your children, your grandchildren, and of course it goes on to each other as fellow believers and, and to be able to communicate the word of God to, to a world in desperate need of the truth and of light and of the gospel and of life. You've got to, you've got to be concerned about your own listening. Your own drinking in, your own taking in of the word and the will of God. And he will speak to you. He will speak to you. He promises it. What does it say here? I will open my mouth in a parable. That's God talking. I will utter dark sayings of old. When you hear the word parable, like me, you right away think of those spiritual stories that Jesus told, like the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the unjust steward or the parable of the lost sheep. And, and the word that's used here includes that kind of teaching. But it means more than that. It, the same word is translated in the Old Testament by the word Proverbs. Which are basically vividly powerful truths. But they're ones that you need to pay careful attention to. They're so intense and, and, and filled with truth. You need to meditate on them. That's why, in a sense, if you're like me, you can't read for your devotions. Perhaps you... Hopefully you, you normally read a, a chapter unless it's really long or, or two at once. But when it comes to Proverbs, it, it just doesn't work, right? Because they're so rich and they're so intense. And you read a few of them and, and it gives you lots to, to chew over, to chew on, to meditate about. They are truths you need to pay careful attention to or you'll miss their meaning. I quote Matthew Henry here just to help us understand what it means by dark sayings. These are called dark sayings not because they are hard to understand, but they are greatly to be admired and carefully to be looked into. Both the Proverbs and the parables of Christ are so rich in their depth and meaning that if you don't pay Careful attention, prayerful attention. If you just skim over them, or you just read them kind of like to get through it and do your devotions and get it done and you can tick it off, you can easily lose the thrust and the power and the blessing of the word that God has for you. When God says he speaks in dark sayings, he's telling you and me to read it carefully prayerfully to meditate on it kind of like when you know when you have a, a rich meal you save you you savor each mouthful you don't just gulp it down as fast as you can because then you get indigestion that's the idea these are the things which we have heard and which our fathers have told us we need to bend our ear to them 
You need to prayerfully explore that. Ask God that they would permeate your own soul and your actions and your words so that you're growing, so that you're changing, so that you're being humbled and convicted. What are ways to do this then? Just take every opportunity you can to feed on the Word of God, whether it's by the preaching of the Word, whether it's by reading the Word in your devotions, whether it's by listening online to a radio program on God's Word, podcasts, there's books galore. And don't just choose one, but try to take in what you can. Listen carefully. What happens? We will not hide them from our children. When you do that, and it means something to you, you can't be content to just keep it in and not speak of it. You want to let it spill out. You want to talk to your children about things that mean so much to you. We will tell to the generation to come what means so much to you as a believer. Hopefully these things, the wonderful, the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. It's one of the most important duties, but also privileges that we have as parents and grandparents. And personally, I like the fact that our new form also addresses you as a congregation together. Because there's a sense in which a child is not just a child of the biological family, but the child is a covenant child belonging to God, belonging to his church. And so in a sense, we all share a responsibility to ensure that each child is taught the things of God. We need to uphold each other. That's why we promised to uphold Josh and Becca. And hopefully others help hold us accountable too. And we support the work of the church in nurturing and, and, and uh, maturing uh, the children that God has given to us. The world tells you, let your child find its own way. Don't indoctrinate your child. And they make it sound like a scary thing. What does indoctrinate mean? It means put in teaching. Give them good teaching. And as long as teaching is true and good, it's one of the best things you can do for your children. Well, we take them to church, right? And we send them to catechism, don't we? And we sacrifice time and money to ensure that they have a good Christian education. Are these things important? Yes, they're part of that vital obligation. We promise to do all that you can to teach this child and to have him or her taught this doctrine of salvation. But remember, it begins with you. Do you sincerely promise to do all that you can to teach this child? A first responsibility lies with parents. And you need to show them by your word and by your example, God's word is real, that God is real, that Jesus is real to you, and that he's been real to countless others throughout history. 
You know, in the first couple of catechism books that I see you use as well, the lesson discussion is introduced with these words, for father and mother to read to me. That was not just a decision on the part of the author because of good pedagogical methodology. That's there to show that parents are to be involved, even in the teaching of the catechism. It's setting a pattern there in those early years for parental involvement that should carry on to years to come, even when they can read it for themselves. We want to be, as much as we can, involved in our child's discovery of the truth of God in his word, as well as in the world. Because God gives us, he calls us to that, he gives us that responsibility, telling to the generation to come the praises of God and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done, that the generation to come might know them, that children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children. Do you see what that means? That means that your faithfulness in your little home with your children, however few or however many they may be, isn't even just, isn't a blessing that will just be confined to the moment, but it's passed on. God intends it, designs it to be passed on through the generations. And so it can impact multiple, multiple generations. And the faith of the fathers is in the generations that are rising, living still in spite of dungeon, fire, and sword. What a blessing that is. My wife doesn't like it if I use her as an example, but um, she's been doing... Um, putting together a heritage book. She did it for the Limus side of the family. She's doing it now for her side of the family. And you learn things about those who've gone before you, not as much as you'd like to. Um, but one, one beautiful thing that stood out was way back in the generation on her mom's side, um, there was a letter uh, that was written, I think, in a, in a book and I believe that book was uh, Thomas Akempis' Imitation of Christ. And in that letter of her forefather, so many generations earlier, uh, he expresses his heart's desire. And this is going back, I think, to the time of the Reformation. His heart's desire that the truths of this book would again permeate through the land and uh, change and bring blessing to the lives of many in the country of Holland. What a beautiful testimony to think of that, right? That desire that was there in forefathers to bring it down. What a privilege we have. We don't all have this privilege, but what a privilege we have if, if our parents and their parents and their great-grandparents all were concerned to pass on the wonderful truths of salvation. What a heritage. And we don't want the buck to stop with us, right? We want it to go on. 
being passed down until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. We want to pour our efforts into that. And remember how important then this responsibility is for the lives of our children, but also generations to come. And that's why God made it, this law for his people to teach. God speaks powerfully of the need of his grace and of the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. Without that, all our teaching, all our examples will be in vain. We depend on him, yes, and on his work, but God normally chooses that's clear. He normally chooses to work salvation by his spirit, not apart from you and me in the generation that's arising, but through you and me by your teaching and example. And that's why God commands his parents. For instance, in Deuteronomy 6, I trust those words are familiar to you. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. We need to hear this. You might think it's too late. My children are all at home. I wish I could do things better if I could do them over. We all can wish that. We, we fall so far short in so many ways. But it's never too late, right? While we have children, while we have grandchildren, to pray and for God's grace to let our words and our examples be a testimony to them. Even in all kinds of sittings, settings, as it says there in Deuteronomy 6, we, we want to take advantage at different times to talk of God, to bring God and his word into the conversation. The praises of God, his strength, the words, the wonderful works he has done, verse, says, verse 4 says, what, what is the most wonderful work of all that God has done? Sending his son, Jesus to shed his blood on the cross, to make the payment for our sin that we justly deserve, to suffer the hell that should have been the consequences of our own sin and take it on us to deliver us from it, to pay the price, and instead to give us his righteousness and his Holy Spirit and new life. Wow. You've got to not tire of saying that. Love to tell the old, old story to your children. And even those who know it best should be hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. Don't also be too proud or afraid to confess your own sins and your own shortcomings and your own failures in life. Maybe in the distant past or the present or the recent past. But you've got to live humbly. That means confessing. You're a sinner to your own children, to your own grandchildren. Because only then will you show them that you really believe that you need that blood of Jesus Christ as much as they do or more for your salvation. But it also makes sure that the joy, the gratitude for what you have in Jesus Christ isn't hidden by your, by your busyness and your concerns about the mundane things and the daily things of life. Don't let those things so overwhelm you that, that you've got no place or no energy to show your joy of salvation. Your children need to hear it. They need to see it. Don't hide it. When you really take it in and you really believe it, you don't want to hide it. 
from your children. And young people and children, if God is giving you Christian parents, you're so blessed. They're one of the greatest blessings he's given you. Don't forget it. And don't you be slow to ask them questions. When you puzzle over things, when you wonder about things, when you struggle with things, God has given them for you to be open to. They might not always have the immediate right answer. They might have to think about it. They might have to pray about it. But God purposes that you should ask them about salvation, even about their salvation. You know, when the Israel crossed over the Jordan at, at Gilgal, what did God say? What, what instruction did he give? He said, you know, take those stones, take stones out of the, the 12 stones out of the, the river and, and build a memorial so that in days to come, your children will ask, what do these stones mean to you? And you will answer. You'll have the answer. Right? So children, that means... Ask your parents about the things God has done and in his word and what he has done in their lives. And be blessed by their answers. As parents, finally, ask yourself, what do I want my children to remember most about me? and their life with me or with us as parents. Do I want them to remember most the beautiful house we lived in? The great vacations we were able to take together? The successful businesses or business we started that they benefited from or perhaps even participated in? Nothing wrong. Don't get me wrong. Nothing wrong with any of these things. Especially when we are pointing with gratitude to our God for his blessings to us through them. But there's another sense in which, of course, children of unbelievers can even remember beautiful houses, successful businesses, nice vacations. There should be something unique they remember about you and me. And I close with this testimony and this example of Christine Fahrenhorst. Some of you will have read this. She published it. I believe it's a year or so ago. But she says, I have another wonderful and early recollection. The recollection of my father kneeling in front of his big four-poster bed, kneeling in his striped pajamas, head down on the rumpled blanket, Every morning, as I passed my parents' master bedroom on the way to the bathroom, I beheld him through the half-open door, kneeling and praying. And it filled me with a sense of quietness. And all that I should see, my father prostrate in this way, so very vulnerable and submissive to Jesus, his Lord. If I could do things over, maybe I would try to have my children see that more faithfully shown in me. I'm thankful for the faithfulness they saw in their mother in the home. Then she also goes on to write this. 
that before he died, he wrote, when I think of the... And her, her father happened to be a minister, Louis Promsma. But this is not just about ministers. When he wrote, before he died, when I think of the approaching day of my death, I have only one foundation on which I can stand, the free grace of God. And to his grandchildren, he left this message. My grandchildren, I love you all. God has something in store for you, a heritage in heaven. 1 Peter 1, 4. Never be afraid to confess the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what she remembered about her father. That's what her children could remember about their grandfather. What will it be about you and me and this community of believers that they remember? Will it be that we love the Lord our God and that we sought to serve Him with our hearts and our lives? Will it be that we laid up God's word in the saving gospel of Jesus Christ in our own hearts and that we taught them both of their great spiritual need and God's great spiritual provision in Jesus Christ. Will it be that we, will they remember the call from this pulpit, from the homes of this congregation, from our lives and our testimonies and our word and example, the call to believe in him, to love him, to give our lives to him who gave his life for us and to serve him. May God help that kind of thing to be what they will remember and what little Jack Ruloff will remember the most. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. In the light of it, Lord, we confess our shortcomings also as parents and grandparents. But Lord, we thank you that you're willing to use sinful vessels like we are to be conduits of the amazing grace and the amazing gospel and the amazing word of our God and of salvation in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to become more effective. Help us to become more open, more ready, less reticent, that we might never hide what could be a blessing to tell our children tell our grandchildren. Help us to realize that while there are many important things we must provide for them and we can and many blessings we may enjoy, none of that should serve as a substitute for the provision of their greatest need, the gospel.